So we're, we've been in this series called Epiphany. And, and that series comes from the, the place we've been in the church calendar, which is around Jesus's revelation as the Messiah to different groups of people, to the, the Magi or the, the three wise men from the Christmas story who represented Gentiles, people who weren't Jews, seeing this Messiah of not just the Jewish people, but of the world. It's, it's the moment where Jesus is baptized and the spirit of God comes down and you hear the voice of God saying of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's, it's the, the moment where Jesus is transfigured on a mountain in front of uh, Peter and, and, uh, and James and John. It's all these moments where the divinity of Christ is made apparent to people that are in, that, in, in the same place that he is in. So we've been in this sermon series and we've been talking about things like this. We started off kind of with this uh, story from Paul's life of when his, history split in two for him. That there's these moments of before and after in our life where we've, we've had this epiphany and that marks, that marks our life in such a way that it really actually divides our life into important before and after times. And what are those moments like in your life? And, and then we moved on and, and we looked at this passage uh, in, in John, the beginning of John, and we, we discussed the biggest thing about your life and that that was the uppercase L life that was embodied in Jesus, that our life is most fulfilled and works best when we realize that while we, we are not a big, we're, we're a big deal to God, but we're not big, and that we're all servants of this, this uppercase life. Uh, and, then, and then we went on and we talked about, in, our, in the third sermon, we talked about that there are things that we already know to be true, but we haven't been able to accept those things. And, and how if we position ourselves in a place where we're more humble and ready to accept those things, that God can bring about huge transformation in our spiritual lives if we're willing to do that. And we took a break from the series after that, and um, I just kind of shared from my heart about what's going on in the city. And then last week, uh, Ben preached on uh, the thing you already, or the thing you thought you knew. And he taught us about the revelation or the epiphany that the people of God are, in fact, the epiphany of who Christ is to the world. And so we're, 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 we're rounding the corner here, and we're going to be wrapping up this series pretty soon here. And and this morning, we're talking about rules and laws, really fun stuff, especially for me. Uh, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 8, and we just think rules are suggestions. So, um, so we're talking about that this morning, that there's, there's laws and there's rules and that there's things that we can't quite work out, how, how that kind of works in our life or doesn't. When I was a teacher a full-time teacher, they told us that we needed to spend the first couple of weeks going over rules and establishing procedures in the classroom. 
And, and what I quickly found as a teacher is that when I made rules, they just couldn't work. They just didn't work. Like think about a rule in, in, the cla in a classroom. You probably have a certain classroom that really stands out to you when you think about when you were a kid, or if you are a kid, you've got one right now to think about. Uh, one of the ones is that, that's common is don't speak unless spoken to. You, you ha ever had that rule in your classroom? But, but what happens when you're doing partner work, right? Talk to your partner, but I'm not supposed to speak unless I'm spoken to. That rule breaks down real quick. What if two people get to the pencil sharpener at the same time, right? I gotta, I, somebody's gotta start the conversation, and I guess it was the teacher that was supposed to be the one that, who speaks to you, right? The rules just break down really fast. And, and what I found is I still had to have my rules because there were some things that if you did, they were really dangerous. You know, like you can't stab somebody with a pencil. That's not, that's not okay. That's against the rules. But what I found to be much more valuable and important in my culture, in my classroom, was in fact that. It was culture, and it was how things are done, and it was how we relate to each other in relationship with one another. And, and so I found that it was important to have rules which are kind of like lowercase laws. You know, the main difference between rules and laws is laws have bigger consequences and rules have smaller ones sometimes. Um, I found that it was important to have those rules, but that it was also incredibly important the relationship and the embodiment in which those rules took place in my classroom. And that it could be a night and day difference in what it looked like in a classroom with very similar rules due to the relationship that the teacher had with the students and that the students had with one another. And so this morning, I, I wanna talk to you about the rules and the laws in scripture and what Jesus has to say about them. And I think there might be, there could be a place where we experience a type of epiphany about the way that those things work that might be a little bit different, a little bit more encouraging than the way that maybe you might have, have grown up hearing about it. So let's start with this. How often do you think and meditate on the laws of Scripture? How, how much of Deuteronomy do you have on your refrigerator right now? Or like when you go and to listen to something on your phone, it's just like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and these Old Testament law books, and they're just they're just repeating, and you're th you're meditating. Yes, mm. yes. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty two six. Listen to this law. I bet all of you have it memorized. If you come across a bird's nest with chicks or eggs, either in a tree or on the ground along the road, and the mother is sitting on the chicks or eggs, you must not take the mother along with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. Right? Really familiar with that one, are we? Yeah. This is actually a really important commandment. We might come back to it a little bit later. What about this one for all you farmers? Do not plant your vineyard with two types of seed. If you do, the entire harvest will be defiled, both the crop you plant and the fruit of your vineyard. Mm. 
Some of y'all sinned this weekend because you had a blended red wine with dinner. Two different seeds, people. So when I read these laws, I'm like, man, Jesus is saying all these laws, they're gonna, they're gonna last, not even a tiny little stroke. They, they will last. And if you're not teaching other people them, you are least in the kingdom of heaven. Y'all are way low, way low if we're reading that right. Um, there's, there's also these other examples in in how the law is, is used. So, so, so we look at those examples and it's like, that's so unrealistic. That doesn't apply to my life. And it, in a lot of cases, taken at face value, it really doesn't. Those things don't really apply to your life. But then there's also these terrible ways that some of the laws and the principles and the ideals of scripture have been used. So for example, did you know that the Nazis claimed Christianity as well? that they said, you know, Jesus cleared the temple. You know, he, he threw the tables down and he, and he and, you know, he drove everybody out of there. And that was their text for anti-Semitism. That was their text to justify a, the literal Holocaust. And, and they got that idea also from one of the uh, great theological giants of the reformation of the Christian faith, a man named Martin Luther, who Martin Luther King Jr. was actually named after. He was such a significant theologian. And, and this guy had really bad anti-Semitism, Martin Luther did. I mean, if you just Google it and read what he wrote, it's, it's really terrible. And, and he, he was able to kind of finesse certain things and ideas and principles and laws in scripture to say like it was some kind of mercy to the Jews for them to be persecuted. So th there's, there's so many issues here with Jesus's words about the law and, and what he's saying here. If we're just trying to pull this text out and look at it, I think there's something really important, really relevant, and I'm gonna get there real quick, but I also want to address kind of the context that we're dealing with here because it could be easy to feel a sense of resignation about these things. Isn't it? Couldn't it? Doesn't it? To, to say, yeah, I heard that kind of stuff growing up, meditate on the law, but also what I experienced is these kinds of things. I, I experienced that it, in certain environments that I was in, that there was like a handful of laws and rules and principles from the scriptures and that those were jammed down my throat and made to be the most important things. And then I watch what the people who taught me those things, what, they, what they're doing right now in our world and in our culture. And I say, that's that, it's going out, baby with the bathwater, it's gone. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this, this kind of thing. I'm gonna have my own laws, my own rules, my own way of handling things. Here's a problem. If, if you wanna do that, or if you're attempting to do that, the entire culture that we were all born into was shaped dramatically by the Old Testament and the New Testament and the laws and the rules that are in there. We have no idea unless you've lived in other, 
uh, parts of the world that are, that are untouched by Christianity, we have no idea what it looks like and feels like to even think without these scriptures influencing our mind. You, you don't, you, you're not thinking ex nihilo out of nothing. That these, these laws and these principles for good and for bad have shaped all of our mindsets and our perspectives perspective. So I'm sorry, uh, again, Enneagram fours, right? People that are unique and they're individuals and stuff. You are still shaped by the same things that the rest of us are. So uh, there's that type of resignation. There's the other type of resignation where we just say like, well, there's these unjust laws, like the police are getting away with murder, literally. They're doing all these types of things out there. There's billionaires that don't pay any taxes and so on and so forth. But that's, I guess that's the law. So there, what, you know, we're, what are we gonna do about it? I'm just gonna kind of look out for me and look out for mine and, and, and do it that way. And, uh, and we say, either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the people that taught me about how important the laws in, in scripture and in society were, they didn't follow them themselves, and they only had these pet ones that were really important to them. Or we say, you know what? The law's the law. I may not like it, but that's it. It's in this same type of context and the same types of understanding of dealing with the laws and the rules that Jesus was speaking into when he said these things. There were unjust laws. There were laws that seemed completely irrelevant. And I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something, what I'm not doing right now. You probably already did notice. I'm making no distinction between laws that we call secular and laws that we call spiritual, God's law, and then the laws of our culture and our society because they impact one another. To the, to the degree that we see people as imbued with the image of God, to the level that we put that into practice in our laws impacts what it looks like when somebody goes to jail or if they get the death penalty or if we ignore people in poverty who are uh, disproportionately put to death or put in prison for minor crimes, but wealthy people get off. All of those things have theological implications to them. And I'm, I have anger and passion and frustration for us to see that that law actually about those little, the birds and, and the mom, they have incredible relevance to what's happening in our world today. And I have incredible anger and passion also about the, the, the ways that we, some of us were raised to focus on like 10 laws or rules here and ignoring the rest of it. And to, to say, yes, if you want to deconstruct and that's part of your deconstructing, please do that. But read about the bird and the mom too. Read about all of the things and investigate all of the ways that your life has been shaped and formed and your perspective has been formed about the laws and the rules. Where are y'all at with me this morning? What you think about that, huh? So Jesus says this. In verse 17, that's where we're going to start. We're going to skip the light of, little light of mind part for a moment. And we're going to go to 17. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, not a jot or a tittle, another translation says. Smallest parts of the Hebrew letter, one, one of the smallest strokes and then this little decorative stroke that just was for decoration, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus starts with the law here in this section, and he says he's not here to abolish it, uh, but to fulfill it. And like I said, laws can't do everything. They can't change everything, but they are still really important. You don't realize how important the laws that govern your life are until they stop working for you. Hear me? So you can, you can decide, oh, this stuff's not important. I don't have to think about it. But the minute you experience injustice, in your personal life and world, it will become very important to you. Dr. King uh, said this in almost kind of a, a, um, a nonchalant way about a, a, a secular law. He said, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. So when Jesus is talking about these laws, he's talking about a fabric and a framework for justice and, and, and righteousness. You know that word righteousness? What does that mean? Have you ever thought, have you ever just been like hearing that in a song or reading something in church or something and somebody says, you know, something about the righteousness of God. And you're like, what, is, what does that mean? You know, it's kind of like holiness sometimes. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to, to, to grasp and, 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 and to get a hold of. And um, righteousness, if you think about that word, just think about what the root of it is. It's, it's, it's right. The fulfillment of rightness. It's right relationships, when somebody in scripture is called righteous, what it means is that they care for those who are disadvantaged. It means that, yes, they follow laws and rituals and rules around the temple and sacrifice and things like that, but it means that they also are just in their affairs and dealings with other people, not in a legal sense, necessarily, but in a, in a everyone is cared for appropriately sense. That's the kind of righteousness that the scriptures are talking about here. And again, there is, there is in Jesus's mind, as he's saying these words and the listeners, there is no distinction. There is no just strictly spiritual laws to deal with this and then secular laws. It is one in the same. That righteousness is about how I do my taxes 
as well as what's happening in my heart, all of these things, all of the avenues and spheres in which I operate, this is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. And uh, Cornell West, is gonna be, so, uh, you know, it's Black History Month, and, uh, and, and I, I like to do a little bit of something about that, and we've got some books for sale. I'm going to talk about those things, but Dr. Cornell West, who's a, 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 a professor at Harvard, he's, I think he's worked at Yale as well, written a lot of books, he talks a lot about these issues, and, and, and one of the things that he said about justice, righteousness, is that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. So when Jesus is describing this law and this law that needs to be kept, He's thinking about it in these terms as he's talking about righteousness. It's why part of the reason why right before this, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So here's the thing. And, and, and Ben talked about this a little bit last week. It, um, the, the listeners, the Jewish people, they thought they were, they were kind of like big stuff because they had this law, because they had the law that Jesus is talking about. They kind of felt in some ways, even though they were underneath the Roman rule, at least in their own kind of world, they felt kind of superior. They kind of felt like they, that law, they owned it. And because they had ownership of that law, because they could wield it the way that they thought it, they, that they wanted to, at least those in power, those Pharisees and teachers of the law, they, they thought they had the idea that somehow that made them better than other people. But, but here we see, we see Jesus, really he's, he's encouraging and inspiring, but he's also challenging them. Because he's, he's saying, hey, you might have access to these things and this righteousness, but, but if you're not actually living it and fulfilling it, you're failing to be the light of the world. You're failing to be the salt of the earth and those things. So you might have access to it. You might feel like an ownership of it, but it's actually in the, uh, the way that it is lived out, whether or not it's righteous or not. And a lot of times, these rules and these laws, they look really good on paper, but when we're not thinking about that righteous living, that right relationship with other people, they can end up doing a lot of harm. I was with um, my kids driving to school, and uh, on the way to school, uh, there's... Uh, 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 their school's in a lower income part of town and there's an area where it's kind of like there's some apartments and there's kind of like a big field and a grocery store and there's not really like any homes or things like that other than this one apartment complex and there's a lot of trash around. It's a lot of trash. And, uh, and Benjamin's like, man, these people need to clean up around here. 
And uh, they, they need to like take some responsibility and clean up. And then we turn onto the next street where there's a neighborhood um, and, and there's houses and people that own and rent houses and then that turns into where the school is. And, uh, and I said, Benjamin, what do you notice about these houses here? And he said, it's clean. He said it like immediately, it's clean. The, the yards are clean. I said, why do you, why do you think that is? And he, says, and he said, because it's a neighborhood, because people, you know, have their yards and stuff. I said, yeah, exactly. And I, I said, when, who, who then do you think might be doing a lot of the living out there? And, he, and, and I said, he didn't say anything. I said, it's, it's people who are like homeless, people who are on the streets most of the time. They're just trying to survive. And... I said, that's not their problem. That's all of our problem. That's all of our problem. If somebody is in survival mode to the point where they're not even worried about what's on the side of the road, on the side of the street, or that kind of thing, and they're like, we see the carts, you know, in Memphis, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, grocery carts all over the place, right? There's grocery carts all over the place and people are pushing them, pushing their goods around in these gro grocery store carts. I said, when we stop seeing that, that means we know as a society, as a city, that we're taking care of people. That yes, it's wrong to litter. It's against the law. You can get fined for littering, right? But there are all these other laws that are not being enforced that are perpetuating people being in poverty, people being homeless, people being without what they need. And Jesus was in the midst of this when he is saying these things. That the teachers of the law, he says something, it sounds so unbelievably difficult when you hear it. Unless your righteousness exceeds the and the teachers of the law, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. Sounds so difficult until you realize that the same thing going on in our city, in our country, was happening right there in Jesus' day. That the law was being forcibly applied to the poor, the poor that were constantly gathering around Jesus, the poor that Jesus was constantly uplifting and healing and saving them from murder. That those people were being pressed down by the law and the people who welled the power, wielded the power, oh, the law just happened to work great for them. There's um, a book on the back table there uh, called Jesus and the Disinherited. And it's by Dr. Howard Thurman. And this book, this book was carried around by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., all the time in, the, in his kind of 10, 10 years of, 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 of protest and, and, and preaching and speeches and all these kinds of things called Jesus and the Disinherited. And, and Howard Thurman, as a black man living pre-civil rights, he's writing and he's thinking about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when you're in that position? 
not as the object, not, not thinking of somebody whose back is against the wall, who's in poverty as some kind of object of charity. He says there's plenty of that. There's plenty of those kinds of sermons and writings and things like that. But what does it mean when you're all by yourself, your back's against the wall, you are without help, without resources. What do the teachings of Jesus mean to you then? And the person of Jesus mean to you then? Here's one of the things he said in, in, in the book that relates to what we're talking about today. He said, uh, in Jesus and the Disinherited, too often the price exacted by society for security and respectability is that the Christian movement in its formal expression must be on the side of the strong against the weak. The, the price exacted by society for security and respectability. We want to keep those litter laws intact. We want to keep the places clean. We want to keep the folks off the street that are poor, that are a problem. But what happens with Christian culture and laws in its formal expression is that we end up with a law with a Christian culture and society that is the strong against the weak. Jesus is speaking to, to this dynamic. That, uh, that Deuteronomy passage with the bird and the eggs you know, this is about somebody who's hungry, right? It's like walking down, walking the way and saying like, oh, you've happened upon breakfast, some eggs here, right? And, and not, not taking the mom. And there's something about environmental sustainability there. There's something about just care for nature and all types of amazing principles in that one passage. And this law in Jesus's time by rabbis and maybe a little bit later uh, was known as a light commandment a light one. But Jesus is saying in this passage, those who don't teach even the least of these commandments, right? So, so there's, this, there's this really almost impossible dynamic here because the law also says later in that same part of Deuteronomy, it also says later about if uh, it's graphic stuff, about rape and things like that. And it's things that we would not practice today. It's not, we're not gonna keep the jots and tittles of those laws in our practice as, as Christians. And so there's, there's this whole other theological uh, uh, thing that's going on that if you grew up where, where there was, I, I don't even wanna go into that right now, but if you wanna talk about those things, we, we, can, we can talk about those things, but this view of scripture that gets based on this passage, what Jesus is saying here. So there's this tension of the law has all these amazing things in it. It also has these things that fall incredibly short of what it would look like to practice true righteousness in the world. And here's the thing. Here's, here's, the, here's the epiphany that I, I don't understand how so many people can look how many scholars can look at these verses and not make the connection because Matthew is putting it right in our face. Right after Jesus says this, 
Right after he says, every jot and tittle must be kept in the law. It must be taught to everyone and all these things. You know what he says right after that? Look at, look at it. You got a Bible out? See what he says. He says, um, you have heard it said blank, but I tell you blank. He says that over and over. You know who, you know you, who you've heard it said from? Moses, the author of the law. You, you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say unto you, and Jesus establishes a new principle, a new way of responding to that law. So when you look at the person and the practice of Jesus, he's striking this incredible tension. He's saying, We've, we need a law. We need a tradition. We need something to operate in. And as much as any of us try to get away from it, you try to do it all, all different, all the way different from somebody else, you're stuck there, like we talked about in the beginning. We need that, but Jesus is saying there is an embodiment of the law and it's perfected in me as a person and this is what it looks like to live it. This is what it looks like to live it. So the, the epiphany that Jesus is giving us here is, is that we take this law, we take these commandments, these scriptures, these things, and our job by the power of the Holy Spirit is to try to embody them in the most righteous way possible. That when we look at these laws, these scriptures, these commandments, we look at them the way that Jesus did. Not as an ending point, but as a starting point for what it could look like to care for those around us. So we look at that bird, we look at those eggs, and we can draw all kind of principles that aren't being followed in our culture today. That we should not take more than we need. That we should care about the environment around us, that we should think about what's going to happen after we take what we want and what we need in the world. Can somebody give me an amen somewhere around that? And so this is, this is what I want to leave you with today. You may have grown up with an oppressive law from these scriptures, but Jesus is here telling us in these scriptures right now that the goal and the purpose of this law is to be embodied in a way that brings that uppercase life, that shalom, that flourishing for everyone. So if you are interpreting the law in a way that pushes down others, that depresses the oppressed, or it impresses your own spirit and heart, you might need to look again because what you might be following is not God's law. Y'all hear me? And this puts us in a very delicate place. As I'm closing here, this puts us in a place where we cannot worship the Bible. We cannot worship tradition. We have to hold those things in tension and we actually have to talk to God. We actually have to ask the Spirit of God to show us how, how do I interpret what's happening in the world around me? We, we cannot say, stay stagnant and expect the laws and justice and those things just to sort of happen. They will not happen. They have not happened. 
So this is a, this is a law, this is a perspective of freedom that Jesus is giving us to find a way to bring shalom, to find a way to bring peace and tenderness in private and justice in public. And that is how we can do where he ends in this section. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know why? Because it ain't the kingdom of heaven, that kind of righteousness. The Pharisees' righteousness wasn't the kingdom of heaven. People weren't flourishing. So when you look at these texts, when you think about the law that's been impressed upon your memory and your heart, think about this passage of Jesus's and what Jesus is moving towards is the flourishing and the righteousness of all peoples. That's our epiphany about the, the law for the morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us to know that we need your spirit. We need your guidance. And that the flourishing of our own hearts and of our communities depends on it. In your name we pray. Amen.